Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Here with Tom. Tom's back in town after last week being on the recording from Starkville. I'm here for the time being. I'll be, I'll be back to Starkville again, though. Whitney's here with us this morning. Good morning, Whitney. Good morning. And we're going to talk about some red-banded stink bug issues, surveys, that type of thing. Tom is, what are you writing? You've um, written a whole page. I, I have. Well, I try to, you've always suggested to me that we can't have a script, but I like to try to put things down on a sheet of paper relatable so I don't forget something. Well, just talk. Well, we just have too much going on, and it's really hard to juggle the phone, my watch beeping at me and everything else, and then have an actual idea of the direction that we want to go. All right. Plus, you know, someday we could we could autograph these and sell them on eBay. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Come on, you got to think ahead, man. No, we could not sell that for any amount of money, Tom. Nobody would be interested in that. Your son might. No. <laughs> Today he would not want to. <laughs> no. Would y'all have a scuffle on the way to school? No, just, he just, uh-uh. That's like a Monday thing with no. I can hear him now. You wouldn't buy that? No. I was instructed to cut designs into the pancake last night by my five-year-old. That leaves everything to imagination, right? I mean, there's an infinite number of possibilities there. I chose poorly. As you always would. (laughs) (laughs) Intention was a smiley face. Relatively simple, right? Well, it was interpreted as a (laughs) jack-o'-lantern. So tomorrow's pancake... (laughs) <laughs> the requirement is a unicorn. <laughs> Good luck. Right. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck with that, man. Yeah. You might need to see if you can find a unicorn cookie cutter. Uh, mama's going to have to get up and cut the unicorn into the pancake because, Daddy, that is well beyond. <laughs> Why don't you just do Daddy's a unicorn horn and you could put some sprinkles on it? It's just Tom's suggestion. That's knee jerk. Not a a bad thought. Breakfast is a never-ending adventure at our house. Tracy's a short-order cook in our house. It just, you know, pick something, and that's what's going to get thrown at you for breakfast orders from the chillin'. There just is no telling what's coming. So, Whitney, have we done a podcast with you yet this year? Yeah. Yeah. You were in here. I didn't answer the sitcom question very well. Allow me to pose another one to you. (laughs) What is your top bucket list item currently? I would like to go to Australia. Okay. That's a solid one. I think that's on a lot of people's. Tom? Gears turning over there. She's a little bigger. I, I want to do the Galapagos. Galapagos. Yeah. Which is off the west coast, coast of, of South America. South America, right. Mm-hmm. Probably won't make it there. I'm big on flying. All right, well, I'm just going to keep mine because mine no, what, uh, is much lower. Excuse me, no, Jason. What is, what is yours? Uh, no, mine would be much lower. No, no, it's okay. Our, what is it? No, I like to maintain the mystery. We're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to embarrass myself because y'all, y'all are aiming a lot higher than I did. Well, I've done some other things. I've, I've seen Paris. I've done Stonehenge, Edinburgh Castle, all cool places. I definitely would go back. Whitney, Tom had the idea to visit with you this morning about the surveys that y'all are doing for red-banded stink bugs. Why don't you tell folks when y'all started those and kind of what the goal is? I mean, that's a pretty big effort to track something like that. So just tell folks kind of the the history behind that program and and what y'all are trying to do with it. 
And I don't know exactly when they started the ditch bank surveys, but we have been doing them for a number of years. So I would say this is at least our fifth or sixth year minimumly. Well, that's okay. You've only, what is this year? My third, third? year. Yeah, mm-hmm. this will be your third crop season. So yeah, that's cool. So the purpose of the ditch bank surveys is to determine, it helps us, it's a good prediction tool to determine one, where red bed stink bugs are in the state. So how far north they are and the numbers at which they overwintered. And it's been a good indicator to, to determine how great of an issue or not an issue they may be in a, a given year. How do they overwinter? I, I mean, that's a that seems like a loaded, silly question, but, but stink bugs are important in how they overwinter because they overwinter in a specific stage. They overwinter as adults, generally in under leaf litter um, or any kind of litter to protect themselves. And we know that... The weather, it also impacts red-banded stink bugs, so generally the colder temperatures. But they have to be exposed to those colder temperatures for a duration. And so we thought last year when we had that, like, week-long cold snap where it snowed, that there would be an impact. And there was an impact, but a lot more of those adults survived because they were underneath that litter and there was some barrier of protection. Well, and things stay warmer under there anyways. That That's a... That's a general misconception, even with snow accumulation. Things are warmer underneath the snow. It it just stays that way because it acts as a blanket to grab sunlight and keeps things warmer, which is really hard to wrap your mind around from a temperature standpoint. Our septic system has the sprinklers. During that week last year, ours kept going. I just was convinced that was that whole system was going to freeze, but it didn't. Somebody once upon a time said something to me about we left some corn in the field one year a little longer than we, we should have, and we ended up cutting it in like February, and somebody just off the cuff said, I will just cut it when the when the ground freezes. I'm like, the ground's not going <laughs> to freeze. It doesn't. I grew up up north. It's not going to freeze here. It'll do it in Indiana, like far northern Indiana and Ohio pretty regularly, but it doesn't do that here. February is something besides a little longer than we intended. Yes, it it, it was, but um, corn, corn stands October, up pretty. October pretty is a little longer than we intended. It would. Well, I was trying to err on um, making it sound like we didn't have a complete screw up. So temperature factors into their survival, and they like to crawl up underneath that leaf litter, and that's where they come out of. Then when temperatures become more conducive. And in any of these plants, are there specific plants you focus on then for sweeping when you're going in for these ditch bank surveys? And how do those relate to whether or not they're just hanging out, in quotes, or something that's maybe a suitable host for them? Once they start emerging, they're going to the clover. So we're specifically looking at the clover. They prefer legume crops. So crimson clover, they prefer crimson clover, but in the delta, that's sometimes hard to find. So We will also look at white clover. You can find them in there. It just sometimes is a little bit more difficult. Um, But the crimson clover seems to be a good host for them, and it's a preferred host. I'm trying to picture, do we have a bunch of crimson clover on the median on Highway 61? I know in Louisiana, I always remember driving to Baton Rouge to school and on the part of 61 south of Woodville that gets into where it's a divided highway there north of Baton Rouge. I can remember just thick stands of crimson clover when it would bloom in the spring. But I don't, not ha- I'm not really picturing that on 61 up here where it's divided. No, I mean, we have like 
there's maybe a pocket here or yeah, there, but so it's just you be, just don't really see it a lot in the Delta. I always remember down there, it was almost like they had planted it. And I'm sitting here trying to recall. It's been a while since I've been down there at this early point in the year, and I don't typically pay that much attention. Well, to white clover is a lot harder to locate than crimson clover just because it's just not as prominent. When the crimson clover blooms, you can just see it from a mile away. Yeah, you can. And what happens is you're like, oh, there's some turnaround, or you know, you pull off where you can drive a little bit slower and pay more attention. Or somebody like me turns around and goes back, pulls out a sweep net, and somebody like Angus or Jeff gives me some, you know, off the cuff smart alecky kind of comment you know are you sure that you're trained appropriately to sweep <laughs> that stand of clover to uh, actually give me some sort of a number from that i don't know that you are i, I probably am not plant pathology entomology two different things you man. should just be shocked that i have a sweep net in the truck i have a shovel <laughs> <laughs> i do not have a sweep net. i have a hoe and a shovel and a couple other things angus always told me you're not a good entomologist if you don't have a sweep net and a drop cloth in your vehicle at all times don't have a drop cloth do you have a drop cloth in your car i do impressive see now there's gonna be a long awkward pause following that because <laughs> it's hard to come back with a comeback question on that <laughs> tell us about the execution of the survey Whitney. so when do y'all start in the spring where do you start and then how does your sampling evolve over time? So we've, we're about in our third week now, third or fourth week of sampling. So generally when clover begins to bloom in a number of areas is generally when we can start our surveys. And so Stoneville crew and Starkville crew both work on this. So generally we start with the counties near both DREC and main campus, so along 82 and then kind of work our way more south. Obviously, you can assume if we're finding them around 82, which is where we're at this year, you can assume that they're probably more southern. But we also have, like, we have, Angus had a summer worker that's worked for him for four or five years, and he, when he went home a couple of weeks ago, he stopped in a couple of counties on his way home and was able to, to take some sweeps to get a survey. Also, if there's people within the state, if they are out and about, they can also stop and contribute to the survey in different counties. But we try to hit whatever we don't have on the map. If we have time, we try to hit some additional counties just to see what what kind of status we're at. And how long will you continue? Hopefully we'll do this another week or two. Obviously it's going to depend on other variables like how much time we have because we're, we're going to be in the field soon and and busy planting that it may take away from our ability to survey. So that also impacts it. But if we have time and there's still clover available, we'll continue to try to do them. So two questions from that. Where are those information housed? I know that you said that when other people really throughout the state will approach that and do some sweeping, where do they generally tend to put their information? So we ask if they have it to send it directly to us so they can email it, email it or text it. And then we will add that to our survey, ditch bank survey information on the blog. And so directions on how to specifically take these surveys are on the blog, but we can also talk about it today on what to do and what information to send. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, expand on some of that because I think that's important. It's really basic. If you see a patch of clover, stop and take 50 to 100 sweeps and record what county you're in. If you don't know exactly where you're at, you can tell us like the closest city. Um, we prefer GPS coordinates, but that's not necessary. Um, and just tell us the number of adults and nymphs per 50 or 100 sweeps. 
And, you know, if you're traveling the same area on a regular basis, you can take samples from the same patch of clover, just alternate weeks. So if you take one this week, you could go back there next week and take a sample. Don't take them necessarily in consecutive days from the same patch. Well, I mean, that's, it's meaningful to look at it over time to see then if they're moving mm-hmm. into that particular patch from somewhere else or yeah. whatnot. And then how does this winter or this spring, and, and really I get them confused from a celestial standpoint, but um, from a what? <laughs> celestial. We. Wouldn't that be the right word? Or did I just make, uh, <laughs> make up the use of a word? Dude, I don't know. We may need to cut that out of there. <laughs> oh, no, that's staying. Because <laughs> you're going to explain what you're thinking about. I'm not exactly sure what I'm thinking about. It, it's okay. Words are words, and sometimes words get stuck in there that don't make sense. Right? Reframe your question so it makes sense. Rephrasing that. How do the numbers that you're encountering this year encounter to years past and what might those mean for the future or for this specific season? And I know none of us have a crystal ball, so that's not something that you can generally make a statement. And usually when I do those things are always wrong. Yeah, again, it's just a prediction. We generally try not to make exact statements, but we know that this winter has been relatively mild. It didn't get cold for a number of days, consecutive days. So we know that those populations are present in in higher populations than they probably were last year. We're finding them in a lot of areas already, NIMPs included, before we even really go into the field season. So likely there is a greater chance that they will be an issue this year, especially for late planted soybeans. So your biggest control measure for red banded stink bugs is to plant early. And so with the weather that we've had, how early those beans may or may not go in is still to be determined, but those later planted beans are more likely. So it, it's going to be imperative, especially in the areas where we have already indicated that red banded stink bugs are present, that we might start considering the potential need for an insecticide application later in the season. What's the value of doing a survey like this over years? So you, you mentioned y'all started maybe five, or six years ago. Say in another five or six years, what's the value of having that much information about, uh, one, a specific pest, but then, two, a short part of the life cycle of a specific pest? I think by having those, we're able to monitor the movement of them. You know, they used to be just an issue lower south, but progressively they're, they're moving further north, so we're able to see those changes. But also because we've collected this data, it's also turned into some additional projects. So Angus and the ecologist on campus, Sam Mortar, actually have a graduate student that's going to be, he's trying to do a predictive model um, to determine if red banded stink bugs may be an issue, but he's going to be factoring in the temperature and some other things. And I obviously can't explain it in depth, but because we've started doing this, it stemmed other ideas that may be helpful in the future for dealing with this particular pest. Where does the red banded stink bug rank on the hierarchy of insect pest of soybean in Mississippi currently? You mean, you said that they have moved up. Mm -hmm. I mean, have not been a, Tremendous pest for a long period of time, but definitely when you have them, they are a 
high priority. They so are. In the general hierarchy, where do they rank? When they're here, generally number one. So you think stink bugs and leps generally tend to be the things that we have the most issues with. Um, I think last year we actually sprayed stink bugs the most. And when we talk about stink bugs, obviously we're talking about the complex as a whole. But in the last couple of years, there's been more insecticide applications targeted at red bandits compared to the stink bug as a whole. So when it's here, it's definitely a pest. It, it hangs around longer than other stink bugs or even let pest, and it tends to be more damaging. If I'm a consultant or a grower in the Mississippi Delta, then what's the most valuable piece of information from your survey that I can use? To know that they're present and to be mindful of it as we go into the season that we need to be looking for red banded stink bugs because there is the potential for them to be a threat this year. Okay, Whitney, there would be a period of time then from when you really are doing the ditch bank survey and then they would move to soybean. What general growth stage are they really more problematic on soybean as a host? So they're pod feeders. So they're going to be interested in soybeans when there's a pod and a seed for them to feed on because they're going to be feeding directly on the seeds. And those are the general stages then that we would combat them with insecticides Correct. most notably. Correct. Where do they go from clover now in March and April, theoretically? So while I don't necessarily know that answer specifically, they are legume feeders. So they obviously like clover. So there's the potential that they could move into other weedy legumes until there is an opportunity to move into soybeans. Tom likes kudzu. He can find you some of some kudzu. So I was going to say, there's Try know, it. somewhere between 300,000 and 500,000 acres of kudzu in the state of Mississippi on any given day. And it's all leafing out right now. It's also got a great <laughs> mat of leaves that drop there in the winter months. That is that a Tom Allen number or is that some kind of remotely official number, 300 to 500,000. There are pieces of that that are remotely official based on USDA plants database, but I have had lengthy conversations with the groups that keep those up. And when they say that, for example, Grenada County doesn't contain any kudzu, well, anybody who's been off the Highway 8, they could say that, 55 but they would be interchange wrong. <laughs> notices that there's, hey, there's that's a Grenada County too, so... Kind of some kudzu there. Whitney, you touched on this during the conversation, but just remind folks again where they can go to find this information. So the best place to find the information is Mississippi Crop Situation blog, but also you can find Twitter updates. There's a number of consultants that may see, see red bandits and they're making posts about it as well as a state entomologist. So Twitter also could be a way to, to figure out where the red bandits may be. Well, that's pretty widely tweeted by just about all of us when we're on there because that's a pretty hot topic. Well, thank you for your time today, Whitney, as always. You're welcome. It's nice to have you in here and see the continued updates and changes throughout the podcast studio, which is an ongoing process. Did you see the new furniture? This is my first time. It's nice. I like it. And thanks to our regular listeners. You know, keep up the comments. Keep tracking us down and we'll definitely continue to provide up-to-date information as the weather allows. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.